picture Return of the King and the Oliphants coming in and laying waste to the White City Gondor in Lord of the Rings. Here's the deal is that (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's like that, but instead of an elephant bringing in a bunch of warriors on its back, it is a giant, enormous spider. Huge, huge spider with this platform on its back and goblins firing arrows and throwing these little rodents called skitterlings. And then the spider can also like flex its abdomen and fire goblins off like warriors off into the air. (laughs) Um, The other thing is that when it dies, a swarm of baby spiders burst forth from its abdomen. Oh, Um, gross. So, so yeah. And this is James, why have you done this? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's see if this works. Giant spider chucking goblins, giant spider chucking goblins, giant spider chucking goblins, chucking goblins. (laughs) So stupid. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Making a Monster, the bite-sized podcast where game designers show us their favorite monster and we discover how it works, why it works, and what it means. I'm Lucas Zellers. Building on years of experience as a tactical dungeon master and a frankly uncanny ability to explain the nuances of the game in a single take with no audible pauses, I mean, come on. Matt Colville has created a small design company for original 5th edition content called Matt Colville Dungeon Master Productions, or MCDM. Colville's lead writer is a returning guest on the show, James Intracasso. He's here to talk about <clears throat> Flea Mortals! The MCDM Monster Book, which is busily smashing its stretch goals on Kickstarter and has, as of the time of recording, made almost $1.3 million. The conceit of the book is to replace the monster manual you already have with new and better monsters. So I asked James about the monster I felt most needs an update, Goblins. I'm here with James Intracasso, who is the lead writer for MCDM, or Matt Colville, Dungeon Master Productions. Correct. He has had a long career in tabletop game design, having worked with Wizards of the Coast, Roll20, Kobold Press, and other awesome publishers before he came on to MCDM. And he's been on the show before for Burnbright, talking about the teleporting mischief fox, the Blip, which was a whole lot of fun and really rounded out the first season of the show very well. So, James, I'm happy to have you back. Welcome back to Making a Monster. Thanks, Lucas. Thank you so much. So it's a it's an honor and a privilege to get to come on and talk about monsters and have some fun. My role at MCDM is basically lead designer. Matt is the design director and he says, here's a bunch of things I want to do. I want to make a monster book. I want to make a magazine. I want to do this. And then I (laughs) go and hire all of the people who work on those projects, you know, the contractors in terms of the people writing, not in terms of art. And then I also write myself and I edit everybody's work. And I, you know, so I sort of act as the the project lead on all those projects and bring those things together and uh, and sort of like the final say. So and and yeah. Matt is there to consult with and that sort of thing, but he really wants to be able to take a step back and like big picture it some more. So that's day to day making RPG products for for MCDM. Congratulations, uh, man! Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It is it is still very strange sometimes <laughs> that this is the case. So, but I am glad it is the case. Yeah seems to be working. I wanted to talk to you about uh, MCDM's upcoming monster book. And I wanted to park on this because the working title for that work is or was Monsters and Villains. If you've followed 
this show for any length of time or if you remember GM edition. I've spent quite a while parsing out the difference between a monster and a villain. So (laughs) I think I do want to address that with you, but you've opted for a different name for the project. What is it now? So yeah, so the name of the product now is Flea Mortals, the MCDM monster book. And we wanted to go that route because, you know, obviously we have Strongholds and Followers and Kingdoms of Warfare are two of the other big releases that we've had on Kickstarter from MCDM. But we did realize that we'll never own noun ampersand noun right in this space (laughs) it already belongs to somebody who 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 is very kindly uh, given a open game license to us (laughs) to allow us to make our thing so we thought if you want to step away and differentiate yourself maybe we should break that mold a little bit and and so we have gone with this because we think it's evocative we think it's fun you see the book and it's got monster on the cover and flea mortals and big capital letters and everything (laughs) and you're like this is great let's do it Yeah, well, it's a solid business decision and it's a solid storytelling decision as well. But part of the reason I wanted to bring it up is because there's a really fascinating uh, attitude that comes with that title that I think you've reflected in in the book as well. So some ground rules or rather some some context. In in terms of Dungeons and Dragons, they define the word monster as anything with a stat block, which is, from a technical writing standpoint, from a Dungeon master standpoint, very useful. From a literary, philosophical, analytical standpoint, incredibly problematic, and it <laughs> makes for a rich conversation. So by changing the title, and also you, you've kind of sidestepped this in the book by giving a different name to, to monster itself in, in that context. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we we generally agree with the, you know, we write for fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, and so we use their style a lot. And the word monster does appear in this book. It's right there on the cover. But we use the word creature a lot more because I think often creature is also used as like a catch all for everything from commoner to, you know, gelatinous cube. And so we wanted to do the same thing. And we're, and we're doing some things to sort of get the idea across that the stat blocks in this book are living creatures. And so like you'll notice that D&D stat blocks often default to the it pronouns for creatures, which can be confusing because we also use it for objects. So we use they. We default to they when we don't hmm. know the gender of a creature in a stat block and that sort of thing. You know, we're just sort of looking for places where we can make it more more accessible to people to so that they can understand like, hey, these are living things and they can be used in your game in many ways ways, right? They're NPCs and they're all sorts of things. But the title Flea Mortals is also saying this is a book of creatures to battle. And we take great pains to make sure that this is the case that we're saying this. It doesn't mean that because goblins are in this book, every goblin is something that is going to fight and challenge the adventurers. On the contrary, we actually go, we say most goblins, like all humanoids, are normal people and they just (laughs) want to live and they're kind to their neighbors and they're nice to everybody else. But when there are uh, goblins who are thieves or murderers and they're pushed out of society because of that, this is how they act and this might be what they would do. And you might find them with, you know, hanging out with other bandit humanoids and things like that. And so that is sort of the idea behind the book, right, is we don't want to paint any ancestries or, or sapient creatures really with like such a broad brush we want to we want to get in there and we want to give you the worst of the bunch so that you can have fun tactical encounters with your players. Yeah, yeah, something that triggers the fight, flight, or freeze response. And I, and I love that there's that, that sci-fi echo in your voice calling them sapiens. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's funny that comes from my burn bright experience. Yeah, we talked a I remember lot that about. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot about creatures and and Darcy Ross, who is a scientist and was a game designer on that, said, <laughs> you know, we call a lot of things sentient, a lot of creatures sentient, but sentient just means you are aware you exist in the world. So like plants aren't necessarily sentient, but like my dog is sentient and and we don't think of it that way. Sapience is really what we mean often when we say sentience. And of course, the way language works now, sentience also means sapience. So <laughs> not to be too pedantic on this show. Right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, <laughs> it is kind of my brand. Uh, <laughs> but no, and, and I did want to dig into that a little bit before we got to our specific monster. Because being this careful about language versus when, it, especially in terms of creature and monster and sapient and humanoid, was there anything else that you had to do to kind of the the core style of the way things are written for fifth edition in order to accommodate this choice to call things by the name creature more often? No, honestly, fifth edition does use creature a lot in the core rules. And in fact, in, in their mechanical language, they use creature a ton, right? If you read a spell, it says, you know, uh, pick a creature you can see and, and they'll differentiate between creature and object. So, you know, for a living thing and a non-living thing. And and they also will will use uh, creature outside of that context, but they'll use monster a lot in the lore. So it was just using creature a lot in the lore. But like I said, we don't shy away from the word monster either because of the way it's used and also i think if people see a monster on the cover of a book if they're DD players they know what it means right, right. associated immediately and and that sort of thing so we don't want to move to the point of in inaccessibility <laughs> and we also you know wizards of the coast is taking strides forward with what they're doing both in terms of the the sensitivity with which they approach these things but also within the mechanics that that they're creating and so we're just trying to also do the same thing that that uh, is happening over at wizards of the coast you know and we're a company of of eight people that <laughs> don't have like hasbro corporate overlords and we don't have to answer so like we can move a little bit faster in that sense but it was interesting because we were working on our book at the same time as as they were working on monsters of the multiverse and it was like oh look we thought of a lot of the same things that we're, we're gonna do so that was uh fun one of the places in which this approach to monster is focused very intensely is at the very bottom of the adventure. So if you get, and I believe this is still the case, that Lost Minds of Fandelver is still part of the starter set, and it's still the first experience that most people have with Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And the first encounter in Lost Minds of Fandelver is Goblin Ambush. And if you're not careful, it is a TPK waiting to happen. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Goblins occupy a remarkably influential place in the game relative to how they're treated lore-wise. To my mind, and I featured a couple of different goblins on the show, and I think designers gravitate to goblins for this reason, that goblins have often been used as like the first thing you fight. You hit them and they turn you into level two, and now you can fight something more interesting. So uh, I've never been entirely comfortable with goblins for that reason. Sure. Looking at goblins in that lens, what was it that drew you to add a whole bunch of goblins to flee mortals? One of the things is we wanted to make goblins more interesting. So in terms of foes in fifth edition, you've got the goblin, 
and you've got the goblin boss. Uh, and then <laughs> in Volos, more goblins appear and that sort of thing. But we wanted to make it so that goblins could be interesting and maybe you would stick with them as the villains of your campaign for several levels but also to to help flesh out like the sort of tactical nature of them (laughs) so that it's not just they charge at you fully and wait to turn into bags of hit points and that sort of thing and, and give them interesting things to do both inside of combat and out of combat so that you can really have fun and have a memorable encounter with goblins that's why our preview document that's coming out for flea mortals has a lot of goblins in it and the other thing is you know we're we're famous for putting a little fourth edition into our our stuff so like fourth edition has what are called roles for all of the creatures right and the roles are things like soldier which is kind of like a tank or lurker which is sort of like a you know you, you hide in the shadows and then you pull out you come out and attack or brute which is your bag of hit points that hits really hard and has some other cool features and so we've brought back monster roles to to use those to help you build an encounter because if you look at your thing and say oh yeah i'm gonna use all of these creatures and you can say (laughs) okay well i don't want it to just be all artillery because when my players run up into melee they'll the artillery won't really be able to use their coolest things. So I'm going to have some artillery back here. And then in the front line, I'm going to have some soldiers and brutes to to stop them and that sort of thing. And goblins have that capability now. And so goblins are dangerous. They're crafty. And they also can make like really good allies. So one of the things this book has is creatures that will adventure with you. And so in the goblin section, there's a goblin retainer, which is a follower who joins your party and will will come with you. That's a big important thing for us is, again, we wanted to say like, uh, here are a bunch of different aspects of this sort of creature, particularly with humanoids. Um, and here's a bunch of different versions of them uh, that you can use as allies or as foes, and you'll create a fun and interesting encounter with them um, that will be memorable, but also will like, increase your respect for the goblin a little bit so that's our hope (laughs) there is a conversation here about about goblins as representations of the enemy other and sure exotic races and i I would love to hit on that if you're comfortable with it but yeah i I want to i would i would also (laughs) like to acknowledge that it's two white guys talking about that in that sense too yeah and again i wear my biases on my sleeve with this show and part of the ways that i try to control for it is to talk to the people who designed the monster itself and Mm -hmm. just look at the conversation in the scope of how it's represented in a single stat block. So there's a lot here that we can't do. And there's a lot here that just relies on kind of tracing influences and seeing where this stuff has come from and being honest about what we're working with. And actually, that kind of leads me into my point, because we therefore need a (laughs) need a stat block to work with. And I was particularly attracted to the idea of the goblin war spider. So paint me a picture, James. What is this thing? The war spider is if you uh, picture Return of the King <laughs> and the Oliphants coming in and and laying waste to the white city, Gondor in, in Lord of the Rings. Here's the deal, is that <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like that, but instead of an elephant bringing in a bunch of warriors on its back. It is a giant, enormous spider. 
right? Like bigger than a giant spider, huge, huge spider with this platform on its back and goblins firing arrows and throwing these little rodents called skitterlings. And then the spider can also like flex its abdomen and fire goblins off like warriors off into the air. (laughs) Um, And it also has blades tied to its legs, the spider. Um, So as it's gone through, it can it can blade blade you up. And so, the yeah, so that is the the war spider in a nutshell. The other thing is that when it dies, a swarm of baby spiders burst forth from its abdomen. Oh, um, gross. So, so yeah, and this oh, is James, all... why have you done this? <laughs> <laughs> that was Matt's idea and addition, oh, I but I fully endorse it. I do want to, <laughs> I do want to underline that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw him under the bus because uh, I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. But so, and one of the things about me is that in real life, I am an arachnophobe. Um, <laughs> And and sort of like Batman is scared of bats and wants his enemies to also fear bats. I want all players everywhere to share my fear of spiders. And so that is what the war spider really is, is, you know, this idea of we wanted a lot of different creatures to have like a war beast. What do they ride into war? And so the war spider is inspired by a warhammer figure, actually, that, you know, D&D miniatures are very cool. But if you look at like Warhammer miniatures, there's some weird stuff going on. And it was, yeah, they're you know, clearly occupying a different, they're clearly playing on a different level there. Warhammer. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, and that's their whole business is minis. And so that's, there's this miniature that is a spider with a platform on its back and a bunch of goblins. And Matt used it in one of his streamed games. And we were like, we should make that an actual creature. And so that is what happens with the, with the war spider. <laughs> A lot of fun. That's remarkable. So there's two influences already that we're working with. One is just you as an author. Here's the thing that I hate. And the other is like, here is the toy that I had lying around to to fit onto the table itself to carry the game in the moment, which I think is how we got a couple of some of the classic D&D monsters. The Rust monster is the most notable example. Um, that, that comes to mind. But the other thing that I wanted to bring into this is we're talking about rolls and we're talking about mounts and artillery. And there's a whole lot of stuff here that has to do with the way wars are fought. <laughs> and there may be, there, there, there are certainly other capsules for culture and value and the, the things that, that groups of people have access to. Could you look back into history? And I would trust Matt and MCDM to do this. And point to real world armies or or battle tactics that relied on this kind of an engine of war. Yeah, well, I think right when and taking the elephant comparison, right, like thinking of Hannibal crossing the Alps on elephants to invade Rome, I think is is probably like the most one of the most sort of like talked about examples. And one reason it's talked about is I think like. That's a shock and awe tactic, right? <laughs> Elephants, classically, when they get scared, are like dangerous to be around, let alone try to ride somewhere. So it's, but but that idea of like, you know, we have this really, one of the things that many, many, many people fear, right? Like arachnophobia easily is in the top three fears globally of people. We have this thing, we're riding into battle, it's part of the shock and awe experience. I think you see a lot, even in modern warfare, right? Like we we want to have the biggest bombs or the biggest tank or the fastest fighter jet. A lot of that is not necessarily about 
it's it's used as a deterrent almost right of like a don't mess with us right. you might think that we're little and small but look at <laughs> look at this we have the biggest spider and, and there's so, a value to it beyond the intrinsically it's the fastest fighter and the biggest spider yeah yeah exactly exactly so you know i think there is there's a, a lot for that and obviously we do turn to war quite a bit and the reason we do that is because you know dungeons and dragons being the game that it is you know look at 90 percent of the class features that you get look at there's a whole book of stat blocks for creatures look at what most of the stats are telling you that the game is about it is a game that has a lot to do with the combat encounter and the combat experience so we do look to that but we want to acknowledge right in this book that goblins are more than going to war and often they are you know like I said, most goblins, I think, are just like most people. They don't want to go to war. They have no <laughs> desire to. And when they take up arms, it's probably to defend someone. And that the goblin, but the goblins who are going to cross swords with adventurers are probably thieves and murderers and bandits and, you know, all, all that kind of bad stuff that, you know, again, they might be working with humans. They might be working with any other elves, dwarves, that kind of thing. Is there something that you added to the war spider stat block that you're really proud of? Yeah, so I I did most of the the war spider stat block. So Matt created the baby burst, which is amazing, uh, and that is what it's called. But so I really love the ride launcher, which is just a trait that they have that when a goblin or, or any allied rider actually, so it doesn't need to be a goblin. You can use the war spider as you know if you want to remove it from goblins, you totally can. And so any allied rider that jumps off the back of the spider has a long jump of thirty feet and a high jump of fifteen feet. They land safely in the first melee attack that they make has advantage after leaping off the spider. And so, <laughs> yeah, and that's like speaks to the fact that this is a mount. It's it's trained to launch people off of it and 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 work with them. You know, it has another trait called wide back which lets essentially lets two creatures stand in a space instead of one. So it can carry more creatures on its back and then i do you know uh, the bladed legs i was really proud of just be <laughs> just because i think that's pretty metal that's really all <laughs> yeah I mean, we've got a spider and we've got all this scrap metal lying around we're tying <laughs> stuff to its legs man this is this is happening <laughs> exactly exactly you know oh gosh aesthetically is there anything hmm so the trouble with monster manuals is that you're trying to write this in a in a way that any DM can use. But is there is there an aesthetic or or kind of a kind of a look that you're going for or a genre that you're pulling from with the war spider and the way it's laid out or the way it looks in your head? Yeah. So that's a that is a good question. I think for me, there are I, I used to work for National Geographic and I promise this is going to answer your question. <laughs> All right, I'm on for this ride. Here we go. And there's a show on National Geographic that I help promote called Brain Games. And it's, you know, it's like a fun show you watch and they do games to and and you see how your brain reacts and they tell you about it. So one of the things they'll do is they'll say all right, watch your TV. We're going to run through a bunch of images very quickly. And they do, 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 do all these images at a clip. Uh, and they'll say like, hey, did you see the yellow umbrella? No, you didn't. The images went too fast. Did you see the the blue pants? No, the, you know. And then they'll say, okay, we're going to do it again with a different series of images. And they do it. And they have, again, a lot of mundane images. But within it, they put images of spiders and snakes. And your brain 
can pick those out. And the reason your brain can pick those out is because we evolved in a in such a way that people who are already scared of snakes and spiders had a higher survival rate <laughs> when we were you know, humans who were living outside or hunting and gathering more often than we are now because we avoided venomous creatures. And so, like, there is already something hardwired in evolution in our brains about spiders for us to fear them. Not everybody, but but many people, like, genetically fear spiders. And, and it's a good thing because there might be less of us if we did not. <laughs> so that is all to say the war spider has a look that is very similar to a real world spider because we wanted to invoke that like you turn the page and you're like, oh, what is that reaction? And I remember the first time I saw the the war spider, I had like a like, oh, what are we doing? And for a while, I actually couldn't go into the artist chat because they were like, sharing pictures of giant tarantulas and things like that to be like, yeah, no, the leg should look like this and the mandibles should look like this. And the, But the thing that it has, right? Like the thing that makes it iconic is it has all of this gear on it. So it's got this big platform on the back and that's really iconic so that it can hold as many riders as possible. And then the, the legs, you know, it's not just metal strapped to the legs because the goblins like, like the spider they treat it well um they don't want the spider to come eat them and so the 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 blades are like first sheathed in leather and tied to the leather and then it's it's almost like the spider is wearing little boots that allow its feet to be free so that it can still grip to stuff and everything you know so like picture picture a a boot that just covered your calf with then a blade strapped to it so that's kind of the the thing now the goblins themselves have more of a distinct look. So we wanted to create like our own look for goblins. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's some things ab about goblins that people can interpret certainly as like anti-Semitic, right? I think that's uh, been it, one of the issues that, that came up before. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's fraught. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is. And I, I certainly understand it. And so one of the things that we did was like, okay, what if instead of a, uh, traditional like goblin nose we went with goblins have a more pronounced sort of jaw and it almost protrudes kind of like a canine thing and their nose is actually kind of small and sits atop that and then what if goblins also like what if instead of caves all the time goblins were like arboreal Right. What, what would that look like if they lived more in trees, if they had devolved from the creatures that had lived in trees? Like maybe they have like sweet prehensile tails or maybe they have, you know what, maybe they have opposable toes. And that's where we ended up is that they have opposable toes and these like sort of longer arms that make them look more uh, arboreal. And they are also they got fur. <laughs> they have body hair. And so they're, and still, you can still look at them and you still know that they're a goblin. They still have sort of some traditional elf ears that goblins often have. And, 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 you know, their skin is greenish, but it's fur covered. And so like, we wanted to make our own look for goblins. And I think it, it turned out pretty well. So, you know, you'll see a lot of them in the packet. We, we have them. So yeah, it's cool. First of all, who did the art on this uh, or, or, did you have an artist that was assigned to the goblins and the war spider specifically? 
Yeah, so the War Spider specifically was made by Nick Despain. And Nick is on staff here at MCDM. So we have three artists on staff and we also work with contracted artists as right. well. And then the Goblin look, all three of our artists developed together. So Jason Hasenauer, who is the art director, he's the head of the art department here. And Grace Chung and Nick Despain all work together to create the look for the Goblins. And, and we went through like a concept art phase, right? Like there's a lot of art that no one will ever see of, <laughs> of our God. Well, I mean, you might, maybe we'll release like a concept art book sure, or something yeah. that would be up to the art team if they wanted to do that. But it was really fun because they would be like, well, what does everybody think of this? And then the whole staff would weigh in and say, oh, I, you know, I think this, I think that. And the art team would say like, oh, okay, well, we're going to go back where they'd say like, you're wrong, James, don't, we're going to keep going, whatever. <laughs> and, and so that was, you know, that was how this all came together. And that was how the war spider came together too. There was a lot of talk about like, you know, should it be more fantastical? Should it be more, uh, should it, should it itself have some of the features of the goblin we were developing and, and all that kind of stuff? And it turns Ooh. out the answer was no, we wanted it to be like a big old spider and it's the worst thing possible that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, doing all this work for a new, a new look and a new design for goblins in general, did that come with uh, a section of lore that you guys had to write or, or a new take on it that ended up in the story section of this work? Yeah, so we have not a ton, you know, we have a lot of stat blocks and we have about the same amount of lore as you would expect to see in like the fifth edition monster. Manual. Right. So a few hundred um, words per. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we do our lore is, I would say, different than what you would find in the monster manual. You know, like I said, we start by by talking really not about the goblins you fight, but about goblins in general. And we say like all humanoid ancestries, many different goblins, many goblin cultures, each with their own ideals. We talk about that goblins, you know, are one of the most numerous humanoids in the world and they can be found in trees and in caves and all over the place. So mm. we did do a little bit of our own sort of what our interpretation of the lore is and how we like to use it at MCDM in our worlds and stuff like that. And then we talk, then we get into like, you know, in the third paragraph, we start talking about like, all right, so the goblins who face adventures in combat are like this. Then we go down a little bit more and we talk about heroic goblins who who go on adventures themselves what are they like <laughs> and, and that sort of thing so and then we also get into there's a special goblin so matt did a video a long time ago on action-oriented creatures i've referenced it several times on the show actually uh, oh excellent so we <laughs> have up a lot <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of action-oriented monsters in the book and in our preview the idea of action-oriented monsters is we wanted to give you like not just hey, here's an action-oriented goblin. Here's an action-oriented, you know, overmind or whatever. We wanted to give you like, here's the goblin boss and here is the action-oriented goblin boss. Her name is Queen Bargnot and here's the lore about her and here's what she's about and that kind of thing. So we give you lore for this one specific goblin leader named Queen Bargnot that then, of course, you know, if you want to change Queen Barknot into a different NPC. Uh, you're welcome to do that and it's <laughs> and use her stat block. Giant is another one of those words that gets a little bit more mileage in the monsters monster design space than it would elsewhere. So what kind of scale are we talking here, just in terms of the monster itself and in the places in which it's most effective? 
Sure, yeah. So so the war spider is huge in, in those terms, right? Your traditional god giant spider is large in <laughs> the monster manual. So so huge, our war spider is uh, just a little bit bigger. And so so these again, this is this is a creature that is when used in combat, usually like being made to either defend against a lo- a group of powerful people or being used to like assault a, a compound or or another army or something like that. So you probably won't find war spider in every community of goblins. <laughs> goblins who are invading places might have them or those who are worried about being invaded might have them. And and that sort of thing. It's kind of like not everybody owns a tank or or has the space for one yeah yeah or even like tanks aren't effective in every battle that's also the idea right this would be in a place that could accommodate a big creature that can run around they have a an action called trample where they move their speed and everything that they run over with their bladed leg they get to attack and so it's like you you need some room you want some room for the spider and you ideally you want some cool stuff that can be climbed you know you want ledges and 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 because that's the fun of a spider is that they can get to places that a lot you know like an elephant can't climb up the side of a cliff or a wall but oh man if they had these war spiders at helm's deep let me tell you things would be a little different things would be a little different in lord of the rings uh (laughs) is this meant to operate in kind of the mcdm broader theater of war Is this like built for a thing that you guys do specifically or do you expect people to just kind of have these big theaters built into their games already? It's a great question. So this this book is a little different from Strongholds and Followers and Kingdoms and Warfare in that like Strongholds and Followers and Kingdoms and Warfare are these things that you can add on to your game. Probably pretty obvious from the titles what they add to your game. This is a book that we are pitching. You can use it in addition to your monster manual or in place of. The idea here is we're not giving you uh, new, entirely new creatures, right? Every, like we said, everybody's heard of a goblin before. They've probably fought them if they've ever played an RPG. So the idea but behind our book is that you could use it. Now, there are also wholly original creatures in here as well that to add some fun and excitement. And you can use our goblins with the goblins from the monster manual if you want to, right? Like you can mix and match, you can do whatever you want. But the intent, our design intent is that you only need this book if you want to run the the game as far as where are you going to get your creatures from. So that said, it of course does some things <laughs> differently because we are MCDM and we want to add some things. So one of the first things that it does is we add these companion creatures, retainers for humanoids that are like, you know, people who who follow you around and the player who is the mentor to the retainer controls the retainer right like you have a stat block it's much simpler to run than a character sheet so you can run them along at the same time and we've improved the retainer rules from strongholds and followers and so our plan is to like revise them you know keep keep going and then when we're happy with them we'll probably go back and revise strongholds and followers to do there we also have companion creatures um companion creatures are the same thing but for non-humanoids what you might say sentient but not sapient creatures (laughs) so you know owlbears and gelatinous cube companion and all that kind of stuff we put out a bunch of companions already with our beast heart class when that came out so you you get a preview of that we're adding more of those to that book new like entirely new in this book will be minions so we've been working on like it's super fun 
to take on a horde of uh, zombies. And so we wanted to be able to give you that feel of like cutting through a field of zombies or, uh, you know, skeletons or if you're higher level, maybe fire giants. And so uh, so this idea of minions and how do they work? Because in fifth edition, fourth edition, it was they had one hit point. You hit them, you move on to the next, blah, blah, pretty easy. Fifth edition has some rules that make that more difficult. So like, for instance, the sleep spell, uh-huh. very effective <laughs> against minions if everybody yeah. just has one hit point. <laughs> you know, things like a wall of fire that just automatically do damage. Magic missile, right? Like you're laying waste to minions in a way that th- through playtesting we have learned is not as effective. So we have different ways of of tackling that. And there is, uh, and then we have the action-oriented creatures, which are creatures meant to either be fought alone or creatures that are meant to be fought like as the leader of a band in a climactic encounter and they have a couple of you know underlings around them defending them and that sort of thing teammates so you know that's those are the those are the sort of the big things we're bringing along with a couple of little innovations like we're moving cr to the top right corner of the stat block you know and creature rolls and things like that we'll probably have some new encounter building rules to try to make encounter building a little easier and and that sort of thing but that's you know this is mostly about giving you really cool monsters to to run in in combat encounters so that you you and your players can have the most enjoyment there and one of the things that we're doing right is we've learned some lessons we tried to do that in kingdoms of warfare we ended up with these massive massive stat blocks that went across two pages and it was like okay we're gonna pare that down we're gonna we're gonna make it simpler everything you need's on one page but we're also committed to like we don't want to give you a lot of spells you have to look up to shorten a stat block so you know and again this is a thing that comes up in monsters of the multiverse you know we're, we're giving people more uh, bespoke custom features that are right there in the stat block I want to park on the relationship to nature because we've, you know, you have the beast heart, you have companions, you have mounts, and you have your own work with National Geographic. So my work as a designer has spilled over into the intersection of, of tabletop role-playing games and, and natural history and how we kind of relate to those together. I wonder if the, the goblins and the war spider tell us anything to your mind and, and maybe to the, to the team at MCDM about how heroes and villains relate to the natural world yeah i think you know it's it's interesting especially right now we're living in a time where nature is in trouble and in a way that nature is starting to hit back against humanity to to sort of like hey uh, you got to stop burning those fossil fuels or (laughs) or or you will be wiped from the face of the earth and it's scary and i think i like you know so i think about every day sort of humanity's relationship to nature in that respect, but also our relationship to nature in that, like, I think we often think of ourselves, especially if we live in cities and, uh, and drive cars and whatever, like that we're separate, that we are somehow not part of nature. It's wild because we are right. Like we're living, breathing, farting creatures. And, and so we have this connection to this world that has made us. And I think sometimes we we separate ourselves from that in a bad way. Like, oh, we have to save the earth. And we don't think about like, we have to save us. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. It's not like an act of goodwill we're doing. It's a it's self-preservation when we save the earth. And so I think 
when you think about it that way, all of these things go hand in hand. And so when I think about heroes and when I like working with nature, I think often we see in fantasy movies this idea that like the heroes are the ones who they're not mining right like they're not pillaging the earth and and that kind of thing they're they're going out there and they're working with the ents to destroy isengard for instance that kind of thing and i think it's interesting to have villains who are not <laughs> the ones who are doing that, who are like, hey, see this spider? We actually treat this spider really well. And that's why this spider works with us. Not because we're like, we're mean to it and we're kicking it and we're whipping it or what like that. That would never work. A huge spider like that, that would just eat you. And so it, it means that goblins, even the ones who are going to be villains in this book, have this relationship with nature that is deep and and one that if you're riding a war spider, you understand and is probably important because you have friends who are tied to this, but it's also something that is that that is worth defending. And so I think, you know, there's scenarios in this book where it could be that like, hey, you adventurers from the big city who are out here defending your mine. Have you ever thought about what all of that runoff is doing to us down here in our in our community here in the woods? And it's like, wow, that's that's cool stuff. And maybe you can get the players who are playing these heroes to think twice before they just go in with guns blazing. And so that's, you know, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> it did. Yeah. That kind of turn from applying a, a heroic attribute to, to, a, to a creature that's functioning in the role of the villain for the purposes of the story and, and all the questions that makes you ask as a player. So if you are interested in Flea Mortals, the MCDM monster book, you can head on over to mcdmproductions.com where there will be more information there. Also, if it's afterwards, if you're like, oh no, I missed the Kickstarter, guess what? Backer kit's up there and we're taking late pledges so you can head on over there to, to get your sweet, sweet book. There's like an exclusive mini and stuff like that too that people can check out. But mcdmproductions.com will have all of the info you need. Thanks for listening to Making a Monster. If this show has earned five of your stars, please leave a rating on the podcast app of your choice and consider leaving a review as well. It's a small thing, but it really does help new listeners find the show and take a chance on listening to a few episodes. And I fully believe that if they get that far, I can keep them. You can learn more about the relationship between D&D and conservation by checking out Book of Extinction, a monster manual of extinct species resurrected for D&D. Learn more at scintilla.studio slash extinction, or follow this podcast for more episodes in the Extinction series. Thanks also to MCDM and James Intracasso for being a part of the show. Lucas, thank you so much, really, for having me. Really, really fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed our last interview. MCDM is doing some really clever stuff, and you guys have your own outlook on the game and your own way of moving forward, so... I was really excited to get to talk about the thing that you're putting your effort behind. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Like, a, yeah, it's just been, it's, it's, this is what my life has been for a while now, this monster book. So it's fun to be able to talk about it with somebody outside of MCDM too and, and, and see like, oh, okay, this is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs>